Hi everyone, welcome to Hashtag Neuronine, episode 7. This is the first episode of 2021. It's good to be back um, and bringing you a new, a new episode. I'm your host, Joe Ambridge, and I'm here with my co-host, um, psychotherapist and relationship counsellor, Mark Fielding. Uh, hi there. Um, thanks for joining us again for another episode, Mark. Um, yeah, today's episode focuses on PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, and we have a lived experience guest, as usual, who will be joining us later. Um, firstly, Mark, um, just tell us about PTSD, um, what it is, what causes it. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll maybe start with a, a little bit of a, of a, brief, a brief history. Um, yeah, but before it was kind of called, before we got the modern term of PTSD, like as far back as Freud was talking about war neurosis, um, he kind of noticed that people coming back from war, you know, experienced really similar kind of symptoms, which included flashbacks, um, hypervigilance to threat, um, you know, really, really increased levels of anxiety and, you know, a lot of difficulties with emotion regulation, um, having flashbacks and dreaming about, you know, events during the war. Um, more recently, um, Vietnam, you know, similarly, lots of people came back from Vietnam and, you know, experienced and manifested the same kind of set of symptoms as the war neurosis, you know, but more recently, the the the, the term has changed to post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, and it, it really doesn't have to be around enormous events like war. You know, people can experience PTSD as a result of all sorts of traumas. Um, and similarly, you know, the, the things, the symptoms that people experience can be quite individual, you know, but generally, you know, the, the, the people that have experienced these traumatic events can go on to experience flashbacks, um, avoidance. So often people, let's say someone's been involved in a, in a, in a really kind of, in a terrible car accident, perhaps they'll go on to start avoiding going out, going out where there were lots of cars, you know, and, and indeed even going out at all. Um, emotion regulation becomes incredibly difficult um, because people that have experienced PTSD, you know, find kind of just, just regulating their emotions really, really tough. Um, their emotions can be heightened by any association to, to the trauma, you know, and, and, and this can make relationships quite difficult. Um, and often with pe people with PTSD find it quite difficult to, to stay in relationships because emotion, emotion regulation within those relationships becomes quite difficult. Um, another really, really common symptom is a numbing out. Um, in order to cope with, you know, increased levels of anxiety, often people that have experienced trauma, PTSD, kind of numb out emotions. So they'll numb out the negative emotions, but also maybe numbing out the, the positive emotions, numbing out joy, numbing out happiness, you know, and it's a coping mechanism to deal with, you know, the, the real strength of feelings that can come in. Um, hypervigilance to threat is something that is also really common with PTSD. Um, and we all have threat systems. So the, the threat system is an evolutionary 
thing. So, you know, if we're walking through, you know, a jungle, we is it a stick or is it a snake? You know, our threat system is generally going to think it's a snake because that keeps us safe. But I think people that have experienced trauma, the threat system gets dialed up. Um, which is completely understandable because I guess the mind is trying to protect, protect, protect them from further trauma, but it creates a lot of anxiety and a real hypervigilance for threat, which can be really, really difficult um, for people that have experienced trauma to manage. Um, yeah, and, and, and often, you know, I mean, PTSD is, can be so difficult for people to manage that it can lead into feeling very depressed and in finding it a real struggle to kind of lead life as as the person would wish. And it's often undiagnosed. I mean, just to put that in at the end, you know, it often, I think, can take a while to diagnose, which I think makes it even more difficult for people because often people don't even understand why they're experiencing the symptoms that they are. And obviously that makes it, a, you know, A, difficult for them to kind of real, really seek the treatment that's going to work, you know, and B, makes it incredibly confusing for them um so yeah i mean that so that generally i think is the kind of description of ptsd yeah it's a bit like i don't know if you ever written, uh, read or seen the film american sniper uh, no no i've never seen it oh he's like one of the best was one of the best snipers in the army uh and he came back he had really bad ptsd and um he ended up getting shot by a fellow soldier who has suffered from ptsd right Who's got? I was having like psychotic issues and stuff. Um, yeah, that guy suffered from PTSD. Um, yeah, but I have a little like statistic here from Beyond Blue saying that about twelve percent of Australians will experience PTSD in their lifetime, and one of the leading causes of PTSD in Australia is serious accidents. Mm. Yeah, I mean that that follows. There's something about. Well, I mean, this is not always true. Again, you know, again, I have to kind of put the caveat in that, you know, that people experience, you know, everyone is not the same, right? So everyone with PTSD is not going to experience exactly the same thing. But yeah, I, you know, I guess things like road accidents, yeah, it, it, it's it's so difficult to process, isn't it? And I think something there's something often about it being unexpected. So if we're going into a situation and, you know, it's going to be fairly difficult and we kind of anticipate it and we, we prepare for it, that's one thing. And perhaps that is going to mean, I mean, not definitely, but it's possibly going to mitigate the, the chance of developing PTSD afterwards. But if we're walking down the street and, you know, and we get, in, or, or we're in a car indeed, and we get involved in a car accident and we're not expecting it, you know, that I think is even more difficult because we just can't process it. So, you know, that's more likely, I think, to lead to PTSD. Um, am I right in saying it doesn't always have to happen to the person that, like, the accident that doesn't have to happen to the person? They could witness it and could still cause PTSD from witnessing something happen, like someone being shot or stabbed or seeing a family member die in front of themselves? Oh, or front yeah. Of them. yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't ha have to happen directly to the individual. I mean, you know, sure. being, you know, seeing something really, really traumatic, you know, and I guess we, you know, we all as humans have this real, really, really great capacity for empathy. But I guess the shadow side of that is if we see something that is really, really difficult, 
then you know we can develop PTSD symptoms as a result of it, you know, because because of our experience of it and how troubling that is, but also because I think of our capacity for empathy and the understanding of the suffering that is going on that we're viewing. So I think yeah, def- that's definitely true. Yeah. So on that topic, um, I would like to introduce our guest Joe Yates, who has um lived experience with PTSD. Um, say thank you for joining us and um. Uh, Welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you going? Yeah, good, thank you. And then we'll just tell us about your, basically tell your story about living with uh, PTSD, what caused it and your background. Sure. So um, as you can tell by my accent, I'm just that I've been living in Australia for the last 15 years. Yeah. Um, I know that year so probably six months ago now um and what happened was when I was in the UK when I was 18 my first boyfriend actually took his own life um the reason well what happened was he was threatening to do it all the time every time I split up with him so I would go back out with him um and this continued on for a few months the relationship wasn't a healthy relationship he was quite emotionally abusive um never physically abusive but a lot of um following me around not trusting me checking up on where I was all the time accusing me of lots of different things um I'd get hundreds of phone calls a day from him so it was quite an intense relationship a lot of um crazy things happened and um yeah I was you know saying I didn't want to be in the relationship anymore and he would threaten suicide so I'd go back out with him and this continued for a little while and then I was determined to end the relationship and he actually staged his suicide so his mum called me um, telling me that you know I needed to go over there because there was needles in the bedroom and pictures of me everywhere and um, a bottle of vodka that he'd gone through so I went back carried on for a little while and then I just had had enough um so I split up with him again he actually thought I was um seeing somebody else who I wasn't um and he thought I was with that person um that day and when he couldn't get me get to me or get me to leave the house I was at he actually went home and hung himself um unfortunately he was successful that time but not immediately so he was taken off the hospital and I've actually only just found out this since I've been diagnosed that he was in hospital for three days um and was being obviously kept alive on life support and then eventually the family um were convinced to turn the life support off because there was no hope for him to come back but during that time that he was in hospital I was encouraged to go in there and hold his hand and talk to him because I was told that that could bring him back so at 18 years old I um, was you know in a hospital room with my boyfriend who was cold to the touch and you know blue and I was told my voice could bring him back and he had to, we had to have certain music in the room and um, the aftershave that he used to wear was just smothered all over him. So none of that worked and eventually the family turned his life support off. And then probably for about the next 12 months until I left the town that I lived in, 
um, I was harassed by his family, so I was blamed for it. Um, I was literally chased through the streets with my car if his family saw me. In my car, they'd chase me. Um, his brother used to phone my house and threaten to kill my brother because I'd killed his brother. Um, I only recently found out that his mother used to go to my friend's work and threaten her. Um, they used to go to my friend's house and sit outside the house. They used to call her constantly um, and try and get me to go to to their house. I, none of us know why. Um, so, yeah, essentially it was a trauma on trauma on trauma. Um, and probably for 18, 20 years, I just kind of dealt with it and just got on with my life. I told everyone I was about it. I didn't tell anyone unless they were very close friends. Um, and then I just give them the basic details about what happened. And then about three years ago now, one of my good friends, her, her son actually took his own life. Um, we all went to the funeral, and that was only the second funeral I'd ever been to. The first one being my boyfriend, the second one being another teenage boy that had taken his own life. Um, and I started to go into a bit of a downward spiral then. Um, I didn't really know it at the time, but I was starting to go into what I now know is a you know, PTSD episode. And then about six months later, my boyfriend Brian's best friend from when we were younger, Ryan, he actually took his own life as well. So that was another trigger for me. And then... On Facebook, loads of people started posting pictures of when we were younger. So I started seeing pictures of my first boyfriend coming up on Facebook and videos that I'd never seen of him. So I'd never, you know, hadn't heard his voice for 20 odd years. And I just went into this crazy downward spiral. I had no idea what was wrong with me. Um, it was quite lonely and confusing and scary. Um, I think my close friends noticed something was wrong, but nobody really knew. Um, my boyfriend knew something was wrong and he tried to help me. But unfortunately, the things that he was trying to help me with was something that I was avoiding, which was counselling. <laughs> so because I went to counselling with my first boyfriend before he took his own life, counselling was actually a trigger for me and I used to avoid it. Um, but I couldn't explain why. I couldn't, I just, I didn't know what was wrong um, and I couldn't explain why I wouldn't go to counselling but the thought of going to counselling was just, it just used to make me feel very anxious, physically sick um, and all symptoms that I now know are part of PTSD. But at the time I didn't know and I couldn't explain to anyone what was wrong with me, um, why I was behaving the way I was. Um, I had a lot of the symptoms like anger outbursts, withdrawal, avoidance. I'd shut down. I'd just shut down totally from a lot of friends um, and just avoided going out. Um, just, you know, classic symptoms I now know. And I guess I, I wanted to just come in and say, first of all, goodness, I mean, what a lot you've been through, Joe. 
I mean, yeah, what a story. When you say kind of trauma upon upon trauma, I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, there's lots and lots of events that have all come, you know, that, well, there's certainly the initial events that have come in together. And then I guess the triggers are the similar situations yeah. that have come in later. Yeah. Could could I just ask, just, if it's okay, and only as much as you're happy to tell us, could I ask a little bit more about the symptoms, the things that, the things that you noticed were going on for you. You mentioned kind of avoidance and, you know, anxiety and not wanting to go out. I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit more. Yeah, well, I kind of classify my symptoms in two stages. Um, so the first set of symptoms I had throughout my life, well, from when the suicide happened, but I didn't realise they were symptoms. So that was things like if I couldn't get hold of somebody... Um, that I cared about, I would freak out. Um, if I couldn't, if I knew someone was having a hard time um, and they called me upset, I would have a really hard time dealing with that and I would have to go to them. So, for example, um, one of my really good friends had um, uh, postnatal depression. And if she called me during the day and she was having a, a bad day, I would leave work and go to her house because I had to make sure she was safe. I had to um, make sure she wasn't going to do anything silly. Um, if I couldn't get hold of my brother or sister, I would be incredibly anxious. And my sister now laughs about it. But one day I didn't hear from her all day. She said she was going to come to the beach with me. And she didn't because she was hung over and playing computer games. But because I hadn't heard from her, which is very unusual because she's usually pretty good at responding, I actually went to her house. And, you know, she was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, well, why aren't you answering your phone? And that was my safety behaviours, just making sure that people I cared about were safe. Um, if my boyfriend went out for the evening and told me he'd be home at 11, and I woke up at two and he wasn't home, I would, it's my first, first thought was always, he's dead, I need to find out where he is. So I lived with that anxiety for almost 20 years without, it just became normal to me. I didn't realise, um, you know, how much anxiety I was living with, how much stress, mm. frustration that caused other people. Um, because I was trying to protect them and keep everybody safe, but everyone just thought I was being a bit crazy and a control freak. Um, so that impacted relationships with my friends and my siblings and um, my partner. So that was that was kind of an ongoing thing. Um, and then when I was triggered by the first suicide and then got even worse with the second suicide, I... Um, just really, really withdrew. And my coping mechanism was just disappearing into my phone and like reading social media, like loads of crap um, or the news or just avoiding everything by um, just immersing myself in reading, whether it was books, whether it was social media, whether it was just stuff on the internet. Um, and I also had a really really short fuse so I just had no patience um I'd get really unnecessarily angry for really silly reasons um again my sister now and I now laugh about you know some of the stuff that I 
really overreacted to um but yeah i just had i just couldn't control those emotions um how did you find going into like a new relationship after the previous ones were you a bit um like unsure or uncertain because of your ptsd and because of um Ah. i i didn't get any counseling at all after the suicide i was given sleeping tablets and kind of sent on my way after about a year of being at university I went to the um although I I had a real aversion to counsellors because the only time I'd been to a counsellor was with my first boyfriend and then a few weeks later he was dead so as far as I was concerned counselling didn't work but eventually because I was not coping at university I went to the kind of university counsellor but she was terrible um and just actually made me feel worse um I told her that I was pushing guys away because, um, you know, there's so many nice guys that I'd met since my first boyfriend's suicide, but I would push them all away. And I was adamant I didn't want a boyfriend and, you know, I wouldn't let anyone get close to me. And she just made me feel bad for doing that. Um, you know, just made me feel like I was a bad person. So I just didn't trust counsellors and I it took me a long time to... Um, actually get into another relationship um and I was very reluctant and it was only because the person that I was then in a relationship for the past 18 years he he was like a very very good friend I trusted him implicitly and he you know kind of eventually gave me an ultimatum like are we going to be together or or not um and if he hadn't have done that, I think I probably would have carried on pushing everyone away for quite a while. So then um, I was in a relationship with that person for 18 years and we split up about 18 months ago when I was in a really bad PTSD episode, I think they're called. Sure. And again, and I guess the, the not wanting to get, I mean, I guess, guess perhaps it's obvious the not wanting to get into a relationship before you did actually kind of go into a relationship with your friend is a, is, is, is a, a kind of safety seeking behavior. Yeah. It just didn't feel safe for, you know, completely understandable reasons. I, I'm wanting to ask you if it's okay, just to rewind a little bit and just, just what effect on you did the harassment afterwards have? Because I, you know, you've experienced this, you know, this terrible trauma, and then I guess you're you're in a space where you're trying to process it, and then there's this invasive behaviour coming in. I mean, that must have been incredibly difficult for you to cope with. I mean, to find the bandwidth to cope with it must have been incredibly tough. Yeah, and I think I um, did shut down emotionally a lot to deal with it. Um, mm. I lost most of my friends because it was kind of like his family or, or my side. So I kept, you know, we were, we had, I had a huge group of friends at that time and we'd all go out together and, you know, to nightclubs and everything around each other's houses. I pretty much lost all of those friends after that time. So, you know, there was a lot to deal with and I blamed myself subconsciously for a long time. And I didn't actually really acknowledge that until going through the, um, the tra- trauma kind of the things that I actually realised is I used to have a, a semi-regular dream 
that I'd killed him and hid him in hid his body in a cupboard under the stairs at his house and I had to stop everybody getting into that cupboard to find out that he was there so that was obviously me blaming myself and when I went through the trauma counseling um, we did um, exposure therapy so I had to go back and revisit a lot and what I realized I'd done is actually um, blocked a lot out so there's so much stuff that I don't remember from that time so I had to speak to my parents my brother um, my ex-partner who was my friend at the time that this was all happening and my best friend from high school who was my closest friend at the time and I just blocked so much of it um, was the biggest thing so I think that's how I coped with it long term is you know the harassment was distressing at the time and I do feel anxious when I go back to the city that that it all happened in in case I bump into somebody um but yeah the you know the biggest thing for me is that I lost a lot of my friends and I blocked a lot of a lot of what happened out just to cope I guess well, what was your experience? Um, sorry, Joe. Well, I just wanted to ask you. Well, what was your experience of the exposure therapy? Because I, I guess that has to be a really gentle process. I mean, so the coping strategy, which you know is really common and completely understandable, was you just blocked out a lot of these really, really incredibly painful events from the past. So reconnecting with them, with them, just I'm wondering what that was like for you. Um, horrendous. <laughs> it was yeah. absolutely probably one of the hardest things I've had to do um bearing in mind I'd just gone through a relationship falling apart we were in the middle of the pandemic like it, I'd moved to a new town by myself it was just horrible um we we agreed on some things that I would I exposed myself to so spoke to my mum and dad found out you know what they remember of it things like I didn't know how long he was in hospital for so it was finding that out speaking to my ex-partner who was there at the time and you know what he remembered speaking to my um, best friend at the time and what she remembered Um, and also my brother and the interesting thing that my brother said to me was when I called him and told him I had PTSD and I was doing this exposure therapy and wanted to talk to him about it First thing he said to me was like, I'm not at all surprised your personality changed after it happened. So that was kind of a big realisation for me because I didn't realise that that, you know, that that was a thing that had happened and that my brother had noticed. Um, but yeah, the two things I said I didn't want to find out and I still won't find out is the date he died. I don't know what date he died and I don't want to know because that's just another another day to feel sad. And the other thing I won't expose myself to is the aftershave that he was wearing. You know, I told you earlier, they put that aftershave over him in the hospital. I yeah. won't expose myself to that because yeah. the few times I've come across it since, I have a physical reaction and I want to vomit. I have to get out of wherever yeah. it is that that smell is. Um and one of my closest friends here actually was just about to put it on on her wedding day and I was her bridesmaid. And I just said to her, I'm really sorry, but I, I can't stand next to you if you're wearing that perfume. Um, and I said to the counsellor during the trauma therapy, I was like, I felt terrible for her. 
second day, but I just couldn't do it. Um, so yeah, it was it was a horrible experience, and there were days where I was just on my floor sobbing, um, and you know, just going back through everything, realizing all the stuff I'd forgotten or blocked. Mm. Um, hearing how it affected my parents and my brother and you know everyone else it was just it was really hard but I'm I'm very glad I've done it um, I, we were talking prior to the podcast and I remember you saying that you've moved countries to Sydney um, do you feel like moving has helped you reset yourself a bit like reset your life a little bit I feel like moving's bit? an avoidance which I didn't realise before um, I think after it happened, I stayed in Milton Keynes where it happened for a year. And then I went away to university, to Southampton, and things got a bit better. So I think that taught me that moving away helps. So I actually do think that I moved to the other side of the world as a bit of a avoidance of the pain that was over there and don't get me wrong I love Australia and you know I think I'd always had it in the back of my heart my mind anyway because my nan came here when I was 16 and she was telling me how awesome it was so I think it was always there but I definitely think it's an avoidance thing and I think as well when I had the recent separation with my partner of 18 years I packed up and moved to Noosa and I think that's part of my avoidance, um, which I'm working on. Yeah. Um, so, you, did you had have you had any like therapy yes. or help here? Yeah. So I actually, when I was when my ex partner and I were going through kind of the the trickiness of a separation, we actually went to um, a few counsellors together. Um, and I saw some of them on my own and nobody picked up on it at all. I told all of them what happened to me. Nobody picked it up. And I was in an absolute state. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I was scared for my safety. I was just not okay. So I took myself to the GP and got referral to another um, psychologist in Noosa. And she has been absolutely amazing. Like she figured out what was wrong with me pretty quickly she didn't tell me for a couple of sessions she um you know went through everything um was make I asked her why she didn't tell me straight away afterwards and it was because she was um, wanting to make sure that she wasn't kind of leading me down this path she wanted to be 100% sure in her diagnosis before she did it and then um yeah she's been absolutely amazing so um initially I was going once a week and then every couple of weeks and then every few weeks and so now probably once a month um just to keep in touch with my progress um and you know there's still stuff that I'm learning that I do all the time and then I'll go back in and check in with her and go okay I did this this seems a little bit weird is is that why I do it um so yeah I was a bit frustrated that none of the other psychologists picked up on it but she said that it is probably because I was so flat and unemotional when I used to talk about the suicide. It was only through a few various different things that she picked up that I actually had PTSD. 
but and, and I think yeah. it's, 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 it's the right person. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess this experience with with therapists. I mean, that you know, I mean that that speaks to how important it is to find the right therapist. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is you know, it, it's so important. I think that people kind of going to therapy find the person that you know that they feel really really comfortable to work with that really that really seems to understand what's going on for them you know and different the therapists are you know suitable for different people and i think your experience really kind of shows that you know that it, it's really really important to find the right therapist i mean i i wanted to ask you so the long period of the ptsd being you know undiagnosed and and i'm guessing kind of looking at behaviors that that, that were in your life and thinking I, I don't really understand what's going on what difference did it make the diagnosis i mean i do understand that that is just the, the journey to healing i guess is you know only just beginning at that point but did it make quite a bit of difference having the context yeah. to put everything that was going on for you it in? literally was life-changing like that sounds really mm. the but so life-changing because it just gave me an explanation um validated that what I'd gone through was horrible because I think for years I'd played it down um but you know when I was telling my psychologist she was actually getting very upset herself um I told my closest friend in Noosa and she was in tears um and I think just having that to go you know what happened to me was terrible and it's okay that I'm I still get upset by it um having a diagnosis and something to work with whereas before I just honestly thought I was going absolutely crazy um and I've always been quite together and you know quite strong and everything and it was very scary and very lonely to to feel like that so just having the diagnosis just really was amazing like you you don't expect to be happy that you've been diagnosed with something like that but I was it was just awesome <laughs> this sounds really silly yeah I mean it doesn't sound silly to me I mean the context is I, I just put you know putting it into context and also I guess you know having your experiences validated you know the the traumatic nature of them by, by somebody, by, you know, by somebody else. I mean, I'm sure other people in your life have done this, but, you know, there's something about that relationship, I think, with a, with a therapist that I think, you know, can be really, really helpful. I mean, I guess over the times when you weren't diagnosed, you must have, you, there must have been so much questioning around what was going on for you and, you know, feeling the anxiety and the avoidance and all these PTSD symptoms kind of coming in and affecting your daily life, but not understanding what on earth was going on. That must have been so confusing. Yeah, I think... For the years when I was just kind of dealing with things, I just thought I was a bit weird <laughs> um, with the whole, you know, driving past my brother's work to make sure he was still alive because I hadn't heard from him for a few days or, you know, turning up at my sister's house to make sure she was okay. I mean, one of my friends was having a hard time in another state and I just got on a plane and went to her. Um, I just, you know, I think deep down I probably if I'd really thought about it, I would have got to that point, but it was just my normal. Mm. Um, and I knew that I wasn't behaving normally because I didn't tell other people why, but to me it was, it became my normal. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it was, it was, I mean, things like, um, 
I've discovered I'd never wanted children that's part of it as well which I didn't know so I couldn't ever really explain why I didn't want children I I gave everyone a reason but it's part of the trauma like I can't handle the thought of having a child that I would potentially lose because I lost someone that I cared about in such a traumatic um, way it's you know affected all those kind of things so I think yeah if I'd sat down and sat with it I probably would have got to those realizations but the only way I could cope with it was just not dealing with it I guess yeah which is understandable because I guess you know it's it's such a difficult position because if if at that time you, you know you had felt you know felt able to go back and connect with it then of course that could have been re, you know re-traumatizing mm. it's such a difficult thing I think to manage on your own yeah um, and that's why I think it's so important to have a good psychologist to help you through it and you know the one I had like she'd give me loads of readings and she'd you know talk about what we were going to do and how I was going to handle it and I felt like I had someone to help me on that journey I wasn't mm. having to do it by myself and I think the the psychologists that I saw by myself or I saw with my partner before I think they'd put me in the box of this is a relationship issue nobody was really looking at well what's the bigger thing that's actually causing problems in this relationship it was just focused on the relationship which is why I think it took so long to get to the right psychologist and to get to the right diagnosis um so I guess one thing I'd like anyone that's listened to this to take away is like you know just because you don't get the right answer from you know the first psychologist it doesn't mean that they're all terrible because that's what I thought for years um the old psychologists were terrible and they made things worse they didn't make things better you just have to find the right yeah, one 100%. you know this is why i think when, when when people seek therapy you know i think it's so important that they they don't just talk to one person yeah. initially you know just just talk to a few yeah. you know a lot of therapists offer initial sessions and i don't know yeah just, just you know be really cautious to find the, the right person because, you know, yeah, that's, that's so important yeah. in terms of, you know, kind of cure and sorting you know, sorting out whatever's happened. It, I just wanted to ask about emotion regulation. You talked about it in the past, and this is really common, isn't it, with PTSD, kind of strong emotions coming up for you. I guess anxiety around, you know, about losing people and, and some anger. In terms of the therapy, I mean, and, and some of the reading that you've done, I mean, is there anything that you could recommend that's worked for you in terms of kind of regulating some of these really powerful emotions that come up? Um, I think, to be honest, just having the diagnosis and having worked through it has taken away a lot of the anger that I used to feel. Like, I, it would be like mm -hmm. I could feel it building up inside me and I sometimes knew I was being irrational, but I couldn't help it and it would just come out. Um knowing why I had those has those outbursts has helped but now I just take pause so if something upsets me I just kind of you know take a moment to think why is that upsetting me why am I reacting like this why do I feel like this and 
just talk myself down I guess so that could be anything from I'm going to be late to a meeting and I'm getting wound up about that to I was in a shop the other day and they were playing um a song about suicide which normally I would have got upset about and walked out but I was just like no okay I'm feeling like this because of this um talked myself down and actually stayed in the store so and if you know if I get upset with somebody now instead of letting it bottle up and burst out I just take the time to acknowledge why what I'm feeling why I'm feeling it and you know figure out is it necessary to feel like that um and also I think I've changed a lot of my well I've changed my lifestyle um and I'm trying to keep any stress and anxiety out of my life as much as I can because I don't want to add any extra stress to my life anymore (laughs) so yeah yeah. I think just giving myself time yeah sound card sorry we did lost the sound a little bit there but I I I, I guess you I mean I I guess you I guess this is mindfulness really in a way isn't it just being able to you know, just up, you know, understand. So the trigger comes, and you, you're just able now. And I guess the context of why it's coming, you know, is is invaluable to this. So you're just able to just take a breath, yeah. just look at the trigger, and then just take a moment and think, okay, where's this coming from? You know, do I need to act on it? Do I not? And I guess even though that that space probably is only a few seconds, it, it makes a massive yeah. difference. Huge, and I just feel so much more relaxed and calm now. Um, and you know, some of the things that used to trigger me before, like simple things, like I've I've talked to people about it, and I've told my brother and sister why I react the way I do. Um, so they're a lot more understanding with me now, and they're a lot kinder to me. Whereas I think before they just used to think I was like their big bossy, controlling sister. Now they understand why I was like that, and they're more gentle with me. And then things like because the the phone is a trigger for me. So if I can't get hold of someone or if someone calls me and I don't answer and I call them back and they they don't answer, I get very anxious. So I've just told people now, if you call me and I don't answer, just text me and tell me why you're calling me. So simple things like that. And just actually being open and honest with people and saying, you know, this is what I went through. This is how it manifests for me. Can you kind of be conscious of that and help me with it yeah yeah definitely helps to share especially when you've got the people that understand i find that with myself with some of my things like yeah with anxiety and depression yeah, and stuff. So it's very similar really improved my relationships <laughs> with definitely with my siblings because we used to clash quite a lot because i was very controlling because that was my safety behavior because if if they did what I said it meant they would be safe and then I would be safe whereas they were just like can you just leave us alone to live our lives so um yeah it's definitely improved relationships with people and you know just having conversations with my parents about you know how I feel and how I'm coping and all that kind of stuff is has been really good Thank you for sharing your story, Joe. Um, we're really sorry that you went through what you went through, and I'm glad that you're in a better position now where you're sharing your story and you're 
Thank you. Um, do you know any things? Um, so thank you to Mark for co-hosting again and helping out. Um, check out Mark's vlog on YouTube, so, uh, hashtag psychotherapy unfogged as well. Uh, it's on our channel as well, on the Lionstyle channel as well as Mark's channel. Um, and we will be back with another episode thank soon. Thank you to both okay. of you. Thanks, Joe. Nice to meet you, you, Joe. Bye. Bye.